Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Made it through the week once again. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And the good martini is really for everyone. This is about as low of a bar as you can get for a good martini, but it is good news. But why didn't this happen a really long time ago? CNBC version of the story, White House on Friday says it will allow international travelers who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 into the U.S. starting November 8th, lifting a ban on visitors from the EU, the U.K., and other countries. The White House last month said it planned to lift the travel restrictions, which barred most non-U.S. citizens who had recently been in Europe, Brazil, South Africa, and elsewhere in early November. Rules first uh, put in place by the Trump administration in the early days of the pandemic. So, Jim, uh, there have been many folks, uh, your colleague Charlie Cook being one of them, Ellen Carmichael, longtime uh, GOP strategist. Uh, both of them, of course, have family members overseas. Uh, they've been pushing for this for a long, long time, uh, and many others, of course. And so it's finally happening, Jim. So it is good news. It is. And, you know, long overdue, deeply frustrating. One of the things that's kind of just just been you know bizarre about this is that we have this administration that runs around telling you know America is back, and that you know ripped into the Trump administration for al- allegedly alienating allies and and cozying up to dictators and uh, just you know being a isolationist and unilateralist and not respecting and all that kind of stuff. And you know, Biden got into office and look, clearly at the beginning of the year, you know, when before people were getting vaccinated. Yeah. OK, you had to be really careful about who you let into the country and all that kind of stuff. But this occurred, you know, they, they maintained this policy long after a whole bunch of folks in the UK started getting vaccinated and were no longer uh, at great risk of having a, a serious consequence of that. And if somebody's vaccinated, you think, OK, you know, while are they capable of carrying the virus? Sure. But they carry less and. You know, at some point, we'd really like to go back to normal life somehow. And this, this, this kind of sense that this, this is an administration that responds to those who have the most anxiety, those who have the lowest tolerance for risk, and those who basically, you know, either are happy with or certainly got very comfortable with quarantined America, which you could not do anything except, you know, stay home, order, order, order food delivery and watch Netflix. Um, also, by the way, this is occurring when they have a largely unchecked open border where all kinds of people are coming into the country in, you know, when, when they're caught by customs and border protection, they're put into overcrowded conditions. Nobody's getting any, uh, precautions for that, but, you know, vaccinated people from the United Kingdom, we couldn't let them into the country. Nothing about this made sense. And people have been beating the drum on this over and over and over again. Here we are, October, vast swaths of the American population are vaccinated, vast swaths of the United Kingdom population are vaccinated, and now the Biden administration says, okay, you're allowed to start coming over here. Uh, Airlines understandably enraged about this, the entire travel industry infuriated infuriated by this. This is what makes people think that the people in charge of our government don't want things to go back to normal. They don't want to see life go back to the pre-pandemic ways. I don't know if it's because of, you know, carbon emissions or just, you know, Whatever their issues were, they just don't want to let people go back to living their lives, which is not the job of the U.S. government. 
I think they like the control. I think they love telling people what they can do and what they can't. Uh, we've seen that at all levels of government, uh, certainly from uh, the federal government, but uh, certain governors all the way down to mayors and even school officials. And we'll talk about school officials in another way in the next martini, but uh, ultimately this is good news. It just should have happened so much earlier. I mean, the, the numbers are in place. Even if you want to base it all on vaccine numbers in terms of the the vulnerable in terms of the elderly. I mean, you're not going to get numbers better than they are right now. It's time to go back to normal. All right. In the meantime, uh, speaking of getting back to normal or staying normal, you want uh, your health to be as good as possible. And that's where uh, ritual multivitamins can come in. In addition to uh, providing wonderful ingredients in their multivitamins, they also want you to know uh, what's not in there because that matters too. Because we deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality nutrients and bioavailable forms your body can actually use. What you're not going to find in there, sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorants. Plus, the fresh taste and delayed-release capsule design makes taking your vitamins very easy. I've been taking Ritual multivitamins, and I like them very much. Ritual is designed with your life stage in mind. It's now available for women, for men, and for teens. And Ritual multivitamins are scientifically developed to help support different life stages. And Ritual makes your healthy habits easy. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they will refund your first order. Get those key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering three martini lunch listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash martini to start your ritual today. Again, ritual.com slash martini. All right, Jim, we talked earlier this week in our crazy martini about the horrific situation uh, in Loudoun County schools where school officials allegedly tried to leave the police out of investigating a vicious sexual assault against a freshman girl, seemingly to uh, protect their precious political agenda. The school uh, board uh, went forward with their uh, transgender bathroom policy as a result of that. So, Jim, there's now more to the story because uh, Luke Rosiak, uh, who has been all over this story for The Daily Wire, uh, now reports over on Twitter and in another piece for The Daily Wire, over a period of years, Loudon repeatedly failed to disclose sex assault incidents to the state and public despite law. A state database shows zero such reports during multiple time periods where highly public incidents happened. And so uh, three weeks after the bathroom rape that allegedly took place in May, the superintendent claimed to his knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. But the story doesn't uh, stop there, Jim. Uh, it turns out, uh, in courtesy to your colleague Isaac Shore for reporting this, that Virginia lawmakers just last year uh, passed and signed legislation allowing schools to refrain from reporting instances of sexual battery, stalking, violation of a protective order, and violent threats occurring on school property in 2020. Uh, they replaced the word criminal with felony in the code, so they still had to report those, but everything else, uh, I guess you can sweep under the rug if you want to. So from Loudoun County to Richmond, just a total disgrace. You know, Greg, I, I've read this these like, two stories, really, and... I was reminded of something Yuval Levin wrote back in, in end of 2020, but he was describing a phenomenon that had kind of been accelerating year by year and coming broader and broader across 
uh, American society. And you know, people have much less trust in their big institutions. And oftentimes they're saying, you know, what, what's wrong with Americans? Why don't they have trust? And in fact, in many of these cases, whether you're looking at the, the Catholic Church and its abuse scandals, whether you're looking at political scandals, Me Too, uh, financial scandals, opioid addictions, right? You, you can point, put plenty of examples of which people who are in positions of leadership who should have put the, their responsibilities first did not do that. And in fact, we're, we're personally profiting. We're basically uh, taking advantage of their position and, and just derelict in their duties and not taking care of them. It certainly seems like we have a, another vivid example of this. And, you know, it's, you know, we, you know, every once in a while sitting around chatting with friends about politics, we'll talk about who, who we wish was president and what kind of qualities we see. And it's kind of, you know, it's an easy joke, but it's kind of accurate that the first sign you don't want a person to be president is that they're interested in running. Right. Uh, ideally, you'd want a person who would, who would kind of, you know, uh, kind of have to be dragged into the job, recognizing the enormous responsibilities of the office and recognizing that, you know, being in leadership is not about having fun. It's not about enriching yourself. It's not about uh, making yourself feel good or, or feeling like you're a big deal. And I think what's more, and I think this has really been an issue with leaders on the Democratic side of the spectrum, although I'm sure you probably could find some examples amongst Republicans, leaders' job is not to transform, not to make other people change. Like you, you've already got enough responsibilities. And I kind of think this is where wokeism, social justice warrior, um, hard progressivism, whatever, you know, however you want to characterize it. When you go into a job and you believe your purpose is to fundamentally transform the public schools of a county or something like that, well, then you're not spending nearly as much time and attention on your pre-existing duties of, hey, we need to make sure there's not crimes occurring in our school, right? We need to make sure the kids are learning. We need to make sure, like, we, all of these jobs had pre-existing duties and responsibilities that were pretty darn big and significant. And the, the assumption of a whole bunch of these generally left of center leaders is that, well, I can do all that, or maybe I don't even need to focus so, so much on that because I need to change the values of this institution. I need to change this institution, how it sees its mission. I need to change what it wants to do. And most fundamentally, I need to change the thinking of everyone who is underneath me so that they're now right, so they're politically correct, so that they are woke. You know, and, it, and I think it's very hard to do both. And I think that the evidence is accumulating. You really can't do both. You, you can't be Bill de Blasio and decide you're going to transform New York City and also take care of crime. In fact, crime gets very much worse. Um, but in the end, wokeism gets in the way of the fundamental duties of these pre-existing offices and, and institutions and places like that. And so what we've just had, I guess wokeism gives people, an, I think kind of, you know, uh, gives people a psychological excuse they don't need to worry about they're not stopping the crime in the schools. They need to worry. You know, well, I'm, I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on changing the curriculum and critical race theory and, you know, teaching uh, kids that they can pick their own gender and that there are, there are 27 genders and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's at this point, you, you look at this, this is not just failing, uh, you know, the, the law. This is failing the kids. This is failing the families. This is failing everybody who puts their trust into Loudoun County Public Schools to teach their kids and to take care of the ki their kids acting in loco parentis during this time period. It is appalling. It is a scandal and it demands wholesale changes from top to bottom in that school district. Jim, we are just a few weeks away from election day in Virginia, and this is a bit uh, an issue bigger than uh, just the next election, obviously. 
But if there's not an ad out within 24 hours from the state Republican Party, considering how they're trying to win back the state assembly as well, uh, does everybody get fired over there? I mean, how can you possibly not point out the fact that Democrats in Richmond actually voted for legislation to allow schools not to report this stuff? Also, please report sex crimes. That's that's not an obscure technical, you know, what temperature was your thermostat kind of uh, regulation. That seems like the sort of thing you wouldn't even need necessarily a rule for. It seems like the sort of thing you definitely want to make sure uh, you were keeping track of and keeping a close eye on, because obviously even one example of that is a absolute horror and unacceptable in our schools. But God, God forbid, you know, if it was getting worse, you want to know about it. But if you're like, no, no, we're just not going to keep track of that stuff. Or we're not going to tell anybody. Good heavens. <laughs> then they might know we were doing a bad job and they might demand change like they should be right now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one thing that you could probably make an argument that it's so obvious you might not need a policy, although clearly they do, but to actively go out there and push for legislation <laughs> that they don't have to do it. That is twisted. Very twisted. All right, let's talk about my pillow. Wonderful sheets, the Giza Dream Sheets, soft, comfortable, like I've said over and over again, as soon as we have to wash them, we put them right back on. The best set of sheets that we have and uh, goes along with the whole great line of my pillow products. And for a limited time right now, you can buy one and get one free on any Giza Dream Sheets. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. This long staple cotton makes the sheets ultra soft and breathable. The sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with both a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Right now for a limited time, buy one, get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 and find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Do not miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow. Com. Jim, we've got some uh, disturbing economic factors uh, happening in our society. We've talked about them quite a bit here in the last several uh, episodes. Um, we've got inflation, of course. We've got a very disappointing jobs report uh, as of the end of September. We've got the supply chain crisis that only seems to be getting worse and, and compounding. And so somebody finally asked the question, I guess, in the last day or two, you know who ought to be weighing in on something like this is the um, transportation secretary. But we haven't seen much of Pete Buttigieg lately. And so why is that? And so the uh, administration finally admitted, because they hadn't made it public before, that he's on paternity leave since he and uh, Chaston adopted uh, a couple of babies, I guess, back in August. And so that has led to a number of comments in a number of directions, um, some pointing to the fact that, you know, they're a same-sex couple, and I'm certainly as pro-traditional marriage as they come, but I feel like in this context, that's a debate for a different time. But Jim, a couple of thoughts here, which I know you will expand on as well. First of all, a crisis of this magnitude, which people have said is the worst they've ever seen, who have been around a very long time, you need to be on the job especially if you've been on this leave now for uh, a number of weeks. If you have this job, you have to be on the job. And finally, while yes, he should be doing his job, 
If you look at the level of accomplishment and competency of Pete Buttigieg at any position he's held in the last several years, uh, expecting him to have done much to improve the situation, I think, is uh, overly optimistic. There's a lot to, I, I hate to use my cliche that there's a lot to unpack here, but there is a lot to unpack here. Uh, one of the things that's kind of funny, like back on Wednesday, I was like, wait a minute, you know, this, first of all, you listen to these reports about supply chain issues and how it's going to, you know, cause all kinds of problems for the Christmas season and it's not going to get settled till middle of 2022 at the earliest. Uh, apparently, there's serious concerns about getting turkeys uh, to enough places for Thanksgiving at the end of next month because of all the transportation and, and you know, backlogs and, and all the problems they're having. So this, this went from being, hey, you're hearing about this thing to a really serious problem really, really fast. And I've been saying, wait, where this is seem like the sort of thing the federal government should keep an eye on. Where have they been? What, you know, and like, and, and obviously, you know, huge backlogs at ports. That seems like the sort of things the Secretary of Transportation should be paying attention to. Where has this guy been? And now I find out, oh, God, well, he hasn't been in the office. We, we did see the news that uh, Pete Buttigieg and his partner are adoptive fathers. Hey, God bless them. You know, every, the world is full of children who need loving parents. I have no beef on that front. And the dad in me looks at it and says, God, you know, I took a little bit of paternity time when my first son was born, a little bit more than when my second son was. And it's, it is irreplaceable. And you, Greg, I'm just going to say this and everyone can interpret it the way you want. You want to help out the mother of your child as much as you can. So fine. You know, if, if, I don't really have a problem with that. There's two other problems. The first is that it's, you know, two months does seem like quite a bit. And it seems like quite a bit when you're the secretary of a federal department. And if you're not going to be in the office and, and you're going to be focused and, you know, I'm sure he's dealing with late nights and, and maybe the child, actually two children, twins, maybe they're colicky. You know, look, we've all, many of us have been parents and we know how rough it is. That is not when you're going to be at your peak performance. But if you are in that kind of situation and you're departing for this paternity leave and you can see this problem that's getting worse, maybe it makes sense to have an, an acting as a secretary for that time that you're gone. Maybe I, I yeah, but the, the thing that only has, I was, so again, I, this is not good. And I think the other kind of little quirk to this is that, you know, Buttigieg has not been in the job for more than a year. And the Family Medical Leave Act, you don't get all those benefits until you've been in on a job for a year. So I think a lot of people are kind of looking at it and saying, wow, it's a lot of paternity leave. And two, it's a lot of paternity leave for a guy who's only been on the job for a couple of months. The second thing, I'm going to, I have a slight quibble. Richard Grinnell is tearing into Pete Buttigieg. And, you know, Buttigieg has earned it. You, um, you put yourself in a situation like this, you got to be able to take your lumps and you're going to get some criticism. But Grinnell did like, I think he went a little over the top when he said, if the secretary of transportation had been focused on solving the supply chain problem back in July, then we wouldn't be in this deep of a crisis. Greg, I don't know about you, but I look at that and said, eh, really? This Pete Buttigieg? This was the guy that stood between something better and this current mess. Like if, you know, I mean, honestly, if Pete Buttigieg had never missed a day of work for the last two months, do we really think the supply chain disruption would be all that different? And so finally, my kind of last conclusion is that like, isn't the real, I don't want to say scandal here, but one of the, you know, more unnerving aspects of this for the administration that uh, apparently Pete Buttigieg has been out for two months and nobody noticed. <laughs> 
that tells you about the competence level of Pete Buttigieg. You uh, you wrote about this in the Jolt and uh, in the Corner today, and then you uh, put out a series of tweets about it. And one of the replies to your tweets was, yeah, we've lost precious months that could have been spent producing environmental impact reports on a Shanghai to Los Angeles high-speed rail line. <laughs> so... Because, you know, he's all about the trains. So that's probably how he would have spent his time anyway, knowing this, him and this administration. But uh, yeah, the, the other thing which I've heard, you know, some folks who are more plugged in since this uh, went up where somebody said, like, you know, look, I follow this issue. I've talked to people in the trucking industry, all that kind of stuff. None of them noticed he was gone either. <laughs> so the, I don't get And Maybe part of it is that when you're the secretary, a lot of what you're doing is kind of ceremonial. And, and you're kind of the man at the top. You're certainly not getting into the nitty gritty and the details. And in the end, it sounds like a lot of this wasn't nitty gritty the details. I do feel like, though, um, this feels like another big problem that has snuck up on the administration and that um, we spent some time debating about whether it really was a problem until it became too glaringly obvious that it is a problem and it needs to be dealt with. I'm reminded of the discussion about inflation where President Biden is. I'm reminded of the situation on the border where Biden insisted this was... Uh, uh, just a regular seasonal surge in migrants and stuff like that. I think also Afghanistan, where Biden was running around saying it's not like the Taliban is going to take over the whole country in a matter of days. Uh, you know, this administration keeps telling us, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And then things turn out to not be fine. And their answer is always, well, no one possibly could have foreseen this. <laughs> no. Well, that's clearly true. But uh, I, yeah, I don't think there should be any illusion that Buttigieg would be competently handling this or is competently handling this even behind the scenes. I mean, basically, the guy's resume for becoming Secretary of Transportation was that he likes trains and put in bike paths in South Bend, Indiana. And as we all know from Biden assembling his cabinet, he had to give one away to every constituency in the Democratic Party. And uh, well, let's just say Pete Buttigieg uh, checked a couple of boxes. Yeah, was there a little bit of a learning curve of this? You know, you have people is, is he smart? Yes. He, every time he was on a debate stage, it sounded like the McKinsey consulting presentation. At McKinsey, we believe your greatest problem is also your greatest opportunity. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, there's all this fortune cookie, you know, in order to go down, we must first learn to go up, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, either Zen backwards, you know, inversion <laughs> thinking, you know, but uh, man, oh man, like, you know, you know, when I ask you, well, you know, what's he been doing? It's like he's not been there. Greg, it turns out he wasn't. <laughs> Asked an answer. Well, maybe he's been giving Jen Psaki some tips because she's been talking about how inflation's a good thing and you know, supply chain crisis is a, a good high thing. Cl- high class problem, Greg. <laughs> high, high class. class. <laughs> Next time you go to the store, you can't believe how much everything costs. Just think, man, I am classy. <laughs> Oh, man, they're just horrible. They're just so bad at what they do. Jim, on that note, I hope you have a good weekend. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us as well. We are super grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Thank you very much, and please keep those coming. Uh, You can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations 
with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thank you.